Good morning, Church on the Rock. Good morning. Yeah, it is so good to see so many people here. Those uh, who have taken the risk to come, those with mobility issues, thank you for making it. Those for, with babies, thank you for making it. Those who have babies that want to come out of them, thank you for making it. Just, it is such a diverse crowd, and I love every one of you. I hope you can sit back and enjoy, enjoy, and uh, welcome for those online. I hope you can uh, sit back and enjoy and sort of get a feel for what Church on the Rock is like. And I'm going to do a little special online shout out to Ed and Emma Wilson. Well, who is Ed and Emma Wilson? They're in Kansas right now. Can we just say, you know, uh, how about, hello, Kansas, all right? One, two, three. Hello, Kansas. <laughs> Ed was in my first youth group. Which is amazing. And now he's 80 years old. And no, no, no. <laughs> his, his dad would come and volunteer at a youth group. And he raised coon dogs. Raccoon dogs that we, they would like chase through the forest, forest. And I remember him saying, I don't have much kids would like. I just like to raise these dogs. And he just like, they, they baller. And the kids had the, the headlamps and they chased people around. It was, it was a lot of fun. So thank you. And Nancy, uh, thank you for coming and, and watching and for all the others that are watching online. Uh, we are in uh, the uh, middle of a series on doubt. And uh, before we get to prayer, I, I want to have a moment of silence for a prayer that was not answered this weekend for many of you. It was, uh, involved a hockey game. And I know it has caused some of you to doubt because you prayed with all your heart and God did not answer. Are there mountains too big for God to move? I don't know. But maybe there's just more people praying in Tampa Bay. I don't know. I, I won't even mention it. I'm not going to think about it for another year, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. You are good all the time. All the time you are good. And we come together, we gather together because you tell us to. And there's these wonderful things that happen as we, as we meet each other, as we pray for each other, as we take communion, experience your worship in community. And Lord, thank you. And I just pray along with our prayer corner people, along with our pre-service prayer, Lord, that you would come and meet us here in a special way. It's not about me. It is not about our band. It is about you and Lord. Come and show us yourself in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, every so often I'll uh, pick up a magazine and flip through it. There's one called the Explore Magazine. It's about outdoor explore, uh, exploring. And, you know, I want to get geared up for the summer. And uh, there's an article. Here's the, the, uh, here's the title of the article. The title of the article says, uh, What do atheists uh, do when they fall down a mountain. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was a very short article. But it was the guy who says he's an atheist, a uh, uh, self-proclaimed atheist. And his, his deal is, he says, it wasn't that I really thought this well through. It wasn't that I'd like wrestled through. I just didn't even think of God. And all the cool people seemed to be atheists. And so he just said for no better reason than to be cool, he called himself an atheist. He was, he was uh, several thousand feet up a cliff, and his hands held, gave way, and he started to fall down the mountain. 
And he said instantaneously, without a thought, the first thing that came out of his mouth really loudly was, oh God, help this, the clips to hold. And then he had a moment to think. And he continued his prayer. And sorry for making fun of Jesus all the time. <laughs> well, the clip held and he swung over and his life was spared. And so then people asked, so, so have you continued on with God? And he sheep, sheepishly said, not really. Maybe another time. It's interesting, a lot of people, uh, I listen to the Side B podcast, and a lot of people who are atheists are atheists not because of any great intellectual search, because they just don't think about God that much. They just don't have a strong enough reason until God gives them a strong enough reason, and then God becomes rather important in these moments. It's interesting, uh, just yesterday, I got a, a privilege to speak at a gravesite. And uh, it's a beautiful thing to be able to imagine with people what a believer steps into on the other side. The music, the friends. Oh, man, and to see Jesus face to face. And for those of us who have walked with him for a while, it is going to be utterly amazing. So it was fun to paint that picture. And as I looked around, I could see some people smile and nodding, and I could see some people really uncomfortable. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes we just don't have a strong enough reason to think about God. And if our mortality isn't enough, I, I think we need to start to go, listen, I should figure this out before I'm falling down a cliff. And so in the midst of trying to figure out faith in God, which I invite you to do, those of you who are online have maybe had this thing shared, maybe those of us who are on the way, or maybe some of us have a strong faith, but there's moments of doubt that you've gone through. In this series, I want just to, to tell you, as you figure things out, that's okay. God wants to give you time to figure things out. Doubt is not the end of faith. And we've looked through some biblical uh, saints about this. One of them is Sarah. Sarah, 100 years old, you're going to have a baby. All right. You know, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't a normal person go, oh, yeah. Like she full out laughed. She had heard this 25 years later. 25 years. I got a promise from God, right? How many of you have had a promise from God? And it's been 25 years. You know what that feels like. It almost feels like you stop praying, doesn't it? And so she just right out laughed. God called her on it. But then she honored God and kept on being obedient in the face of doubt. So Sarah, we just pointed out, kept on walking in the dark. And God rewrote her story. Now in the Hebrews, the, the story of Sarah is she is in the halls of faith. She is one of the great ones of faith. Why? Because God will rewrite your story. If you just keep on walking through some of those doubts. Last week we talked about John the Baptist. Who, who, who should know about Jesus. He, you know, he's his cousin. He... He, he knows about Mary's story. He, he, he heard God's voice. But somehow Jesus did not turn out the way he thought he would. He wanted Jesus to be more judgmental, harsh. He wanted fire to come down and just like burn up people. That, that would be a miracle that could, you know, turn a lot of people to Jesus, wouldn't it? Yeah. 
heard about a child evangelist who did a cutout of an aluminum child and had a flame thing and just melted it. And that helped with that. No, it was bad. It was just bad. <laughs> but he wanted that to happen. Can we just bring the flame thing? And what does Jesus go and do? He goes around loving people. Ah, just like Jesus. <laughs> he goes around forgiving people. He goes around healing. And so in the midst of his doubt, Jesus sends a message back and reminded John, remember the good things. In the midst of your doubt, remember the good things. Somebody came up and told me, said, Dave, the, the moment you said that, my mind went back to when I was a kid, and there was a situation in, in a car accident. My life was spared. I don't know why I'd never just thought about that. And, and I'd never really sat back and thanked God for that. You know, there are moments where we go, okay, God, I don't know. And he will take you back to his goodness, and we can remember that. Well, what are we going to do about our doubting person today? Let's jump into our next uh, uh, biblical doubter. Uh, this was a quite noble doubter. He wanted truth. He wanted truth. He didn't want to be taken in by a carnival sideshow. He didn't want to just believe because somebody else told him. And his name is, drum roll. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. I just, yeah, it's actually, somebody actually did that. That's awesome. All right. Doubting Thomas. All right. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Actually, we actually gave him that name. That name's not in the Bible. And we're all going to see him in heaven. Oh, you're done. Yeah, no, that's not my first name. It's Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> Forever, right? Forever. Poor guy, doubting Thomas. Poor guy, doubting Thomas. Well, we hear of him two times before the doubting event. And it's interesting, we should give him other names. In John, uh, John 11, uh, Jesus is, and the disciples are going to go to Jerusalem. It's a very dangerous time. And, and they are all worried. And Thomas is the one that stands up and says, well, let's go so we can die with him. Wow, he should be Thomas the Brave, right? Brave Sir Thomas. He should have been Thomas the Brave. Next time we hear about Thomas, they're in Jerusalem and they're hiding out. And, and Jesus is giving them key instructions. And, and one of the key instructions is this. He says, uh, you'll know the way to God. You all know the way to God. And I can almost see it. I can almost see the rest of the disciples going, you know, no, I don't know the way to God. But yeah, we'll just all sort of, yeah. And it's Thomas that actually speaks up. He's the one that puts words into everybody else's thought. He says, well, how can we know the way? Like, how do we know it? And that elicits a response from Jesus that we all should remember as Christians. And Jesus answered in John 14, 6, almost like, Thomas, Thomas, haven't you got this figured out yet? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's such a key thing that Jesus said. I am the way to God. I'm not a way. I'm not... Uh, I, I'm not one of multiple ways. I am the way. I am the truth. If you want to know what's right and wrong, if you want to know what truth is, come to me. And I am the way, the way to live your life. If you want to know how to live life, come to me. I'm the whole deal. I'm the complete package. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me 
except through, through, to the Father, except through me. That was in the response to Thomas. You think Thomas the brave. Thomas, the, the good question answer, right? But no, <laughs> poor guy, doubting Thomas. I'm trying to figure out what he's like. I, I wish, I, I try to imagine what people are like in the Bible. It seems like he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to ask the hard question where no one else did. He wasn't afraid to go and die. And when all the others were huddling in somebody's basement, when Jesus first showed up to him, he wasn't there because he wasn't afraid. He was out. He was his own man. He's off on his own. So Jesus showed up, and the disciples all believed, except Thomas. They try to convince him, and, and Thomas doesn't believe his friends. He's his own person. He simply says, unless I see it for myself, unless I touch the holes in his hand, the holes in his side, I'm not in. He was simply asking for some proof that the other disciples had asked for too. They, the, the women came back and said, the, the, the tomb's empty, and it wasn't like the guy said, oh, great, Mary says it. It's got to be true. No, they're running out there themselves to check it out. So he just wanted some proof of his own. He wanted to know for himself. And so Thomas was, as best you can call it, a skeptic. A skeptic, a skeptic one writer says, is someone who says, I'm, I'm going to suspend judgment. I'm not going to commit myself. I'm going to be a skeptic for a while to try and figure this one out. At the heart of it, the psychology of a skeptic is this. I want to be wrong. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to seem wrong to other people, especially if they paint a certain group as wrong all the time. So skeptics just don't want to be wrong. Honest skeptics will go further than that and actually search for the truth. And that's what Thomas, he just wanted to know it was true. It's interesting, you think Thomas would have, been, would have been like an easy sell, right? He saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And, and you know, a villager might actually see one or two miracles in their town. But, but Thomas saw three years of miracles. You'd think that would be easy. Here's something I've noticed in, in Christian ministry, and it's true, it's weird. Do you know that sometimes miracles have shelf lives? Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? I've seen somebody back in our prayer corner get healed. They, they, they had a problem. They're going in for surgery. They went and did all the x-rays. It was gone. It was gone. Totally gone. Pure miracle. And yet, for some reason, that just didn't seem to hold a lot in their head. There's just so many other voices around them. Yeah. So sometimes we ask for miracles, and God does in his mercy and his grace. But sometimes miracles have shelf lives. So Thomas went on. Nothing happened. Day two, nothing happened. Day three, wonder what he's thinking about at this point. Nothing happened. Okay, Jesus, where's my miracle? When are you going to show up? Eight days later. Eight days later. Well, okay. What is going on in God's head, all right? Really? Why did he wait eight days? It doesn't say, so you make it up. Right? You can listen to me, I'll make it up. But the deal is, it doesn't say, but eight days, Thomas is waiting. And so, so there they, they get together. 
And, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up when Thomas is hanging out with his buddies. John 20, 26 to 28. And so though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them. Oh my goodness. I just, could you imagine that? Like, right? Stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. Isn't that awesome? It wasn't the first thing he said, Thomas, you should have known better. What's the matter for you? He, he didn't say that. Peace be with you. Then he turns to Thomas. And you can almost hear the other just like, <laughs> he's so going to get it now, right? So busted. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. I've walked with Jesus for a lot of years. Can I tell you when he reproves you? It is often so gentle. <laughs> it is so gentle. His harshness is better than love around us. He has had to reprove me many times. But his tap on my shoulder has been, Dave, you know better. Come follow me. <laughs> what a beautiful Savior we, we serve. Oh, my goodness. I love you, Jesus. <laughs> put your finger here in my hands. Reach out my hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Of anybody in the disciples, he got it right, didn't he? My Lord, my God. He, you know, it's like, wow, you just sort of summed up that whole thing. Didn't even seem like he actually went out and touched him. It was like just meeting Jesus face to face. The marks of Jesus' love would be enough proof that, that Thomas needed. He had a my Lord, my God moment, and that pretty much sums up what it means to be a Christian. <laughs> We just have to have moments of coming to God saying, God, you're my Lord, you're my God. I don't get all this stuff, but listen, I believe you. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Just us messed up people, us trying to listen to God so he will, will change us from the inside out. Some doing better than others. But the only thing that makes us a Christian is that sometime in our life we said, my Lord, my God, to Jesus. And then Jesus turns and says this. It's, I, I know they say this in, in uh, TV, right? That they break the fourth wall, right? Where, where somebody is like, you know, they're teaching. And all of a sudden, you know, the people on the camera look out to the people who are on the other side of the TV, us. And say, so Jesus now goes in and as if he looks up and breaks the fourth wall and turns to us. John 20, 29. And Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. And he almost looks at you and me in the eyes. And this is what he says. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus says that to you. You'll receive a special blessing because you haven't seen. And yet you've taken that step of faith to believe. My Jesus nods and smiles at those of us who believe. Thomas' life was so transformed. He goes on to Persia and uh, this you know, modern uh, Iran and Iraq, and he gave his life 
telling other people about the resurrection. Well, what can we learn from Thomas' story and his doubting? Uh, doubting? Number one, God waits. Number one, God waits. Number one, God waits. Um, and, and as I'm trying to read different theologians about this, different preachers about this, I'm trying to think, what do, why, why does God wait? If, if God wants this so badly, why doesn't he do things right away? And, and somebody says, oh, I want a certain team to win. Okay, great. It's done, right? It happens in the third period or something. But no, no. He waits. I'm old enough to have seen the 67. Yeah. <laughs> you know what one writer said? I love this. God is not a tame God. He's God. We're not. <laughs> he doesn't have to come the moment we ask. I talked to some people. If God would only give me a miracle, I might believe. So what would it be like if God actually showed up on earth? God himself. Wow. Okay, I'd believe. What happens if he proved it, if he did lots of miracles and then died and rose again? And then they figure out what I'm saying. Oh, that happened a long time ago. I want my miracle. So God has to come and do six billion miracles because he just has to, to keep everybody happy. God's not a tame God. He's not our, our servant that comes with a bell. He is God. God is not a tame God. And so sometimes, sometimes, he waits. One person told me, he will be unworthy of my devotion unless he answers this prayer. <laughs> oh my goodness, don't go outside. It's lightning strike. This is like, you know you, who you're talking to, right? Wow. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. And so they got together and waited. You know how long they waited for the Holy Spirit? Ten days. That's the prayer meeting. Okay. That's the prayer meeting. If you've been to a long prayer meeting, a ten-day one. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, have, we have our one-hour one that comes up every month, last Sunday of every month. But no, 10 days. Jesus was crucified. He said he'd rise again. He waited three days to do this. I, I wonder as they waited for the Holy Spirit, did some leave? Well, wasn't the Spirit supposed to come? Oh, I'm so tired of this. Did they move on? In in day one, people see Jesus crucified. They, he says he's going to come back to life in day two. Well, he didn't do it, did he? Did some people leave during the wait? It's interesting. We who are believers, we are third-day people living in a second-day world. We've met the risen Lord. But the world presses up against us. He's not there. Second thing is not only did God wait, he doesn't shy away from giving evidence. It, it wasn't that, no, Thomas, I'm not going to tell you. Thomas, you're going to have to actually go to your death to prove to the world that this is true. So I'm going to give you a special gift. I'm going to show up to you, for you, and you are going to see this. 
This is something I'm going to do for you. And so Jesus doesn't shy away from giving evidence. I love it. He goes into the temple in John chapter 2, and Jesus is flipping over tables. All right? <laughs> Just like gentle Jesus, right? He made a cord, a whip. And some people said, he didn't use it. <laughs> yeah, he did. All right? Come on, get out of here. <laughs> he, he, he was being prophetic. And, and people said, what right do you have to do this? And, and it was like Jesus didn't say, well, you just have to believe, take a leap of faith into nothingness. No. He said, I'm going to prove to you I am the truth. By, by killing, breaking down this temple, three days, I'm going to raise it up again. So he is good with evidence. He is good with showing us that there are reasons to believe why I'm the way. But he wants us to see. He wants us to be interested. If this is all about love, I know God initiates love. I know he's the one that started this whole love thing. Can you, I just, he wants to be loved back. Have you ever, like, loved somebody and they haven't loved you back? God wants you to seek him. As Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Do you want to know me? Then run after me. Do you want intimacy with me? Do you want to understand how this all works? Then seek me and ask for me. Run after me. Sometimes I wonder if he says, how much do you really want this relationship? Will you spend time in the waiting, in the asking, or will you be a dishonest skeptic who says, I want the proof, but you don't actually look for the proof? The skeptic has to risk the search. And I believe those who are honest skeptics have their my Lord, my God moment. I want to share with you three people that I know their story a little bit. And just because I've read their stories. I grew up with these people. And some of them you know, some of them you don't know. But they're beautiful. I don't want to lose their stories. So I'm going to tell a new generation their stories. And each one of these people were skeptics and atheists. They said, no way. But they were honest skeptics. They actually started to search and just, instead of just saying, there is no answer. They, like Thomas said, I will, I, I will believe, but you got to show me something. And so they went on their search. Okay, the first one you know you know him well, I do too. I took a whole course on him in university. Is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. He was more than a popular art, uh, author of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. He went to Oxford and, and studied philosophy. And in his, uh, his philosophy, he won a first in, in Oxford. I'm not sure if you can uh, throw up my, uh, the picture of, uh, of C.S. there. That would be great. There he is. There he is. Uh, he, he got a first in Oxford. And uh, not only uh, did, uh, did he score that, but he discovered he can't get a good job as a philosopher. And that, who figured that one out, huh? So he went through and, and, and did another four-year course in one year of in English literature. And he, he scored another first in Oxford. This guy is smart. He called himself, 
he called himself a rationalist, an atheist. And yet, he would stand before a piece of art and he said something in him just came alive. He would stand before a sunset and he said longing just happened. And he said, where did this longing come from? Where did this, where? he says, I'm just not an animal that goes from instinct to instinct to instinct. There is something more here. And so he honestly started to search. And he started to ask the questions, why do I want to be a moral person? Why are, is there, there are things that are just and unjust that, that bother me? If, if this was just all perchance, then certainly there would be nothing in me that would want this right and wrong. And he started down this search, and eventually he said he did not want to become a Christian, anything but a Christian. So he came kicking and screaming, and he first became a deist because he didn't want to become a Christian. And a deist is like a bus stop on the way. There's a God, he spun the earth, and then he sat back and, and you know, I don't know, played Parcheesi or whatever you do, right? And so now, C.S. Lewis is this deist, and now he had been uh, a teacher at Oxford, now at Cambridge. And he now is hanging out with his best friend, J.R.R. Tolkien. That's just so cool. Like these guys just like chilling in the pubs. And he said one night he had a long walk with Tolkien. That lasted till 3 o'clock in the morning. And Tolkien just, they're both, they're both literature people. And Tolkien just said, listen how literature talks about humility and courage. And that is the, the, the character of Christ. All of literature around the world elevates courage and, and humility. And this is the story of Christ. And finally C.S. Lewis said, I didn't want to do it. 3 o'clock in the morning, I gave my life to Jesus. He had a my Lord, my God experience. And this is what he writes. I think this is hilarious because this wasn't something that he, you know, because of his parents, he had no real faith. It wasn't because, you know, it was like, uh, you know, that he was a part of a big movement. He was at a big concert and everybody emotionally gave. No, he figured this out with his head as a skeptic. And this is how he wrote about it. So the prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can dully adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, res <laughs> resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape. <laughs> that was himself. The love of God opened the gates to him who did not want to come. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. And his compulsion is our liberation. The honest skeptic Lewis discovered the my God, my Lord moment. There's another person I, I've talked about. A lot of us don't know him because it was it, from a different age. His name is Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson uh, was a high-rolling lawyer. And uh, he was special counsel to President Nixon. He was called the hatchet man of the president. He is quoted to saying, he said, I would run over my own grandmother to get Nixon and, uh, elected again. Isn't that beautiful? You can just imagine that personality, right? Oh, my goodness. Would not want him to have him at a dinner party. Wow, yeah. Stay away from you. So he was involved in a break-in and theft of political secrets during the trials. He hit a low, 
And he was hoping that everyone that was involved in this break-in will keep their secret. But he said the moment that the pressure came, people were starting to crack around him. And he was starting to realize his life was falling apart. And so he started to ask the big questions in life. As an atheist, as a skeptic, he asked the questions. Somebody gave him uh, Mere Christianity, a book from C.S. Lewis. And he devoured it. And he said the moment he finished that book, the light turned on. And he realized his political power and his arrogance were both evil. They were driving his life for power. And he just got sucked into that. And he got the light shone on his life. And he surrendered his life to Jesus. This is how he explained how he, he understood the truth. He said this, I know the resurrection is, uh, is a fact. The water great gate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they, then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put into prison. They would not have endured that if, they, if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world. They couldn't keep alive for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. He searched it out and he realized this is true. And he had a my Lord, my God moment. He pled guilty to his role in the scandal, willingly went to prison. And while in prison, got a heart for prisoners around him and started a ministry called Prison Fellowship where he spent his years in prison reform and bringing the good news to those he had met in prison. Last one, Josh McDowell. I grew up kind of uh, hearing about him all the time. He was a serious young man. He describes himself as that. He wanted to look around asking the question, who am I? Why am I here? He was a pre-law student. And he was graduating at the top of his class. It's the highest mark in his whole school. And he, he, he thought that his notoriety would give him a feelings of success, which they didn't. He felt like he kept on, was fighting the second person on the ladder all the time. And he said, do I need to fight the second person on the ladder for the rest of my life? He found out his intelligence didn't really help him much. Until he met eight students and two faculty members. He saw them, they'd get together all the time, and they seemed happy. <laughs> and he said, like... Why are they happy? There isn't anything in this life to be happy about. And then he, he got closer and he found out that they're Christians. And they would worship and study the Bible together. And they would confess sins and they would pray for each other. And he said, it was beautiful and everything in me longed for it. But everything on the outside just mocked them and tore them apart and put them down. Until they challenged me, if you are an honest skeptic, go and search out the truth. So he did. He took a year off of school and traveled Europe. Back then, they did not have Google. I know. Oh, that's weird. But he went to the greatest libraries in Europe and, and just studied and studied to find out who this Jesus person was. And this is how he described it. He said, I could only come to one conclusion. If I were to remain intellectually honest, I had to admit that the Old and New Testament documents were the most reliable writings of all antiquity. 
And if they were reliable, what about this man, Jesus, who I dismissed as a mere carpenter? After he discovered that, it still took him a year. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Intellectually, he understood that there was a God, because God's name is Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. <laughs> but it still took a year for God to be able to break through his pride, to be able to say, I was wrong. That's hard, isn't it? Especially if you built your life on, I was wrong. I, like, they were wrong, right? It's just hard. But finally he gave in and he said, uh, yeah, he had a my Lord, my God experience. As we, uh, as we close up here, and I'll, I'll ask our worship team to come on up. Do you have a friend who wants the truth? Tell them to search. Tell them to honestly search. Tell them, don't assume there are no questions, answers. There are answers. They just have to actually search it out. I, I, I've done something. I, I know you can probably pass this on. We made a little card here. In the back of the card are just some websites podcast. If you have a friend that, that would like to search things out, the first one is William Lane Craig. William Lane Craig is one of the highest power intellectuals in the Christian versus atheist debates. The, the great atheists like Dawkins refused to debate him because they, they knew they'd be torn to shreds. And, and he has highly intellectual articles, very uh, easy to read articles. The next one, the case for Christianity, cold case is, is a is a detective who's went and searched out these things and has laid it out in a, in a website. Another one is the Sidebeat podcast I talk about often. They're just stories of atheists becoming Christians. And uh, then there's one I think is just wonderful. Jacob pointed point me on it by, by a man named Mike Winger. The, the evidence for the Bible, he goes into such detail. If you're just down that road, you're welcome to take one and, and, and use some of these. If you have a friend that would like to start down the road, you're welcome to use that. We'd love to actually give you resources here at Church in the Rock to actually go forward. But that's not the end of the story. I believe God wants to be found. For true seekers, God wants to be found. John Ortberg says this, At the core, faith is not simply the belief in a statement. It puts trust in a person. The person of Jesus wants to be found. God wants to be found. So... As we go into worship, maybe there's some friends in your life that are skeptics. Perhaps you should pray for them now that they would have a desire to search for the truth. And ask God, if you're real, show yourself to me. Because anyone who seeks with their whole heart will find it. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the midst of doubts, in the midst of our doubts, Lord, do not let the intellectual arguments steal away our relationship. Lord, help us to search things out ourselves, to build foundation on foundation about what is true in you. Lord, as we worship, come and meet us, Lord. Remind us that you are Lord. You are our God. Thank you for what you will do now in Jesus' name. Amen.